Okay, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. Wow. Does it feel good? I, I'll be honest, like I was very nervous to record this episode. I haven't recorded anything all week. And uh, it just feels good. It feels right. I was nervous. I don't know why I was nervous. I just was. And uh, I feel like that's how, you know, the, starting the show that way, going, oh my, like it just works for me. It makes me so ready to go. Um, I'm encouraged to tell you guys that Strong Abandoned Sports is more than just a YouTube channel. It's also, you know, people don't realize... <laughs> The show is actually a podcast, so if you listen to podcasts, you can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on Spotify, on SoundCloud, everywhere you can listen to podcasts. There's an audio-only version of Strong Opinion Sports. Please go listen to it. It does me a huge help. Uh, everywhere you can listen to podcasts, you can find that. Please rate it if you want. It would really help me. Uh, I think people don't realize I'm not just a YouTube. I'm not just a YouTuber. Um, I also film the show, and <laughs> what do I do? What am I saying? I record the show, and I put it on iTunes. English is hard. You know me. Um... I want to start today with this. I have a thing I'm really fired up about. I've been getting a lot of questions about the NFL Combine. People are asking me, why haven't you covered the Combine more? What do you think about this guy's bench press? What about this guy's 40-yard dash time? How about Joe Burrow's hand size? Ooh. Um, let me answer all those questions. You know, <laughs> I got a litany of them. Instead of doing an episode dedicated to the Combine, I'll just say this. I don't care that much about the NFL Combine. I, I don't. I, I just, it's not that I hate the Combine. It's nothing like that. But a large majority of the stuff you hear coming out of the NFL Combine is nonsense. It just is. And I, I don't know. I, you know, for example, Joe Burrow's hand size. It's an overstated storyline. Go watch the film. Do we need to really question Joe Burrow's ability to throw a football? We saw Joe Burrow play last year in college football. He literally had, I'm not even kidding, the best regular season in the history of quarterback in college football. Nobody's ever had a better quarterback season than Joe Burrow did last year. Who cares how big his hands are? I don't. And that's, that's a, one of the leading storylines from the combine was Joe Burrow's hands. I'm like, right off the bat, it was a bad start. And I was like, I, I'm not going to care. And the NFL teams I've talked to say that the most valuable part of the Combine is the interviews. They get to sit down and talk to young men that are getting ready to play in the NFL. You get to meet guys face-to-face. You get to get to know them. You learn about their personality. You get to shake their hand. Again, most of the Combine stuff is nonsense and kind of meaningless. There are all these talking points. All the numbers, you know, bench press, 40-yard dash. The hype is ridiculous. Bruce Arians, the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, gave a really good quote. He said this. This is what Bruce Arians said. He said, you might run a 4-3 at the combine, but your tape say you run a 4-6. You might run a 4-6, but the tape say you run a 4-4. The tape don't lie. The combine lies, and you can fall in love with the combine and then get your butt broke. And he didn't say butt. He said a different word. I don't say on this podcast. Um, there are so many factors behind the numbers guys put out at the combine. Technique. I mean, look, the 40-yard dash is so much about your technique and how you get off the line. Then there's nerves. Is a guy nervous? Does he test well? Who knows? He might be great on a Sunday, but hey, come test day, he's nervous. Who knows? The health plays a part. Are you sick? Is your hamstring messed up? How's your ankle? The testing at the combine is such a limited sample size. And I personally, I don't trust it too much. I just don't. 
Um, and the NFL teams I've talked to don't give it that much weight either. They're just like, eh, it's, it's interesting. But you got to realize a lot of weird factors play a part on the combine testing day. Again, was the guy sick? Was his ankle sore? Again, bad technique at the 40-yard dash can really, really mess up your time. You can be really football fast. You're great when you're in the moment playing football and getting off the line at a 40-yard dash. You're just not the same player. That's really a thing. Now, the reason why the mainstream media talks so much about the combine is because it gives them clicks. Let's be honest. That's what happens. It's February. There's not a lot to talk about. There's not a lot to pay attention to for a fan. The combine is full of filler content. And all the numbers helps the players, not the teams, right? All the stuff about, you know, there's a bunch of lists that come out. You look at Instagram, the week of the combine. These are the top five bench press. These are the top five 40-yard dash times, the top five vertical jump. And if you're at the top of the list, it gets your name out there. Ooh, a lot of people learn the name of people that have the highest you know, vertical jump and the best 40-yard dash time. They become names you've heard of when they wouldn't have necessarily been before. It's all marketing. It's all marketing to help the players get known. Now, the combine is good. The combine is a very good thing. It helps market the players, and it allows NFL teams to interview the people they're going to hire to be a part of their franchise. But the NFL combine simply is not about the numbers anymore. It's just not. It's more of a gigantic conference where you can shake hands and get to know people. That's the most important part. Scouts come talk to each other. General managers come talk to each other. They all talk to the players. It's a big deal, but it's not necessarily about the testing numbers that you're marketed that, that it's supposed to be. It's this huge event, and it's really more of a social event. But it also provides a lot of content, right? <laughs> the media loves the combine because there are so many little things you can hype up and have as storylines. Now, the reality that people don't like to hear is that most of the content... Most of the stuff you hear come out of the combine is filler nonsense. It's just not a big deal. It doesn't matter. I mean, the Patriots head coach, Bill Belichick, wasn't even at the start of the NFL combine. He was at Middle Tennessee State scouting a guy named Tyshun Render, a defensive end. Defensive end from Middle Tennessee State. That's where Bill Belichick was when the NFL combine began. Again, it's a social event more than it's about the numbers. And if you're going to scout a player, what you see on film is so much more valuable than the numbers that are output at the NFL Combine. They're just, as you know, the Combine started in the 80s. And as the years go on, the testing numbers become less and less relevant to teams and the interviews become more and more important. Film doesn't lie. Bruce Arian said it in his quote, a guy can look fast in gym shorts, but on the field, in pads, playing football, might not look the same speed. It's a real thing. And what's really, really irritating to me, I know the quarterback position really well. That's what I know best. And, you know, you have quarterbacks throwing in gym shorts to receivers in gym shorts. There's no pressure. It's all on air. And everybody says, well, this guy had a great day. And I'm like, yeah, he better. Justin Herbert better look really good throwing with no pressure in his face, no pads, no defender, just a receiver running routes on air. You better look good. I don't understand this, all this hype. Like Every quarterback looks pretty good throwing at the NFL Combine, and if you don't, it's a gigantic red flag. All the Combine can do is hurt you if you're throwing. L literally, that's all it does. 
But film matters so much more, especially with quarterbacks. Teams are like, well, this guy went way up the rankings because he threw the ball well at the combine. He made terrible decisions last year in college football. Decision-making is more important. Everybody can throw. Some can throw way better than others, but you already would know that going into the combine. You shouldn't take the combine watching a guy throw there to understand whether they're good or not. A lot of it's just fodder. It's nonsense. It's for the fans. It's to help players get their names out. But NFL teams don't care about this stuff. The throwing, the running. They, they want to talk to people and get to know them, but they watch the tape. They know how a player plays. Film matters more. And again, every single quarterback better look good throwing in gym shorts. It just is ridiculous. People are like, this guy moved way up the charts. Mm, not, okay, like, it's kind of ridiculous. Now, here's where the combine helps. The combine is really good for two types of players. Number one, it helps small school guys, guys who played at really tiny colleges, Division II, D1, AA schools. And like a Division II guy probably isn't at the combine, but a guy who plays Division I, AA, uh, a guy played at, I believe, Rhode Island, Zay something, had a great 40-yard dash time, and people went, oh, good. Because here's the thing, when Zay was playing at Rhode Island, he wasn't playing against top talent in the nation. So he had nothing really to compare him to. You go, okay, well, we can see on paper, he really is as fast as the tape shows. Because we wanted to see how he stacked up against a guy from Alabama. He might be fast at Division I, the lower level, but is he really fast against the top-level guys? Oh, he is. But here's the other thing. That's what the Senior Bowl is for. <laughs> All the Senior Bowl stuff allows you to get a guy in pads running on a field next to another guy from a bigger school. If you want to make a name for yourself, do it at the Senior Bowl. Again, the 40-yard <laughs> dash time is so overstated at the NFL Combine. Here are the other people that it helps. So the Combine helps teams get a sense of a player's character. Everybody benefits from this thing. Teams love it because they get to interview a guy talk to him, but it's especially helpful for a guy who has a questionable narrative about his character, a guy who has work ethic problems reportedly, or a guy who's had off the field issues. A team can ask them directly, hey, what's up with this? What's up with your work ethic? What's up with this thing where you got in trouble? What's up with this or that? And a player has to respond directly. It's literally a job interview. That's great. People love that. It's really good for that. But again, I want to repeat this. The combine is less about the numbers. I mean, the numbers are a silly like sideshow. The testing was so important in the 80s, but now we have way more film. We have way more information than ever. We have Google's a thing. When the combine started, it was really hard to find information on players. It was really valuable. The numbers and the testing at the combine are so less valuable now than they were before. A lot of it now is marketability. Oh, this guy's fast. This guy's strong. Get your name out on Instagram, literally. Today, the NFL Combine, the most valuable thing it does is allows teams to meet players face-to-face in an interview setting. Now, the media hypes up the numbers. It gives them clicks. It promotes players. It's not a bad thing. The Combine, all that stuff, the, 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 you know, the testing numbers, I'm giving it a hard time. It's, it's good for the players. It allows them to market their names. But all those testing numbers, the 40-yard dash, the bench press, the three-cone drill— it matters a lot less than people in the media like to pretend. The most important thing that happens at the NFL Combine is teams get to meet players face-to-face, shake their hands, and get to know them. That is the true value of the NFL Combine. Okay, uh, this is Ask Zach. You might be wondering, what is Ask Zach? How does Ask Zach work? 
Uh, we are reading questions from Patreon supporters. How do you submit a question? You go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Shomler. It's a dollar a month. You can give more if you want. It literally pays my rent. It's a huge deal. It really helps me. You can submit questions. And once a week, I pick the top couple questions to read on the full episode of Ask Zach. That is this today's episode. Now, if you donate, I do not guarantee to read your question on the show. I only guarantee to look at each question with my eyeballs. And then I pick the top couple again to read on the full episode. I pick whatever questions I find most interesting. I want to start today, though, with a message. I, I, I feel like it's important to address this because I haven't made a video all week. I haven't made anything all week. No podcasts, no videos, no nothing. Um, and I want to address that because I do feel uncomfortable. I want to apologize. Um, first of all, I am sorry. It's been a long week. It's been a long time since I made another episode of the show. Um, I landed early on Monday morning from a long flight from New York City. Um, and I learned a valuable lesson in all this travel that I did from New York and back and all this stuff, um, creating content. A lot of people ask me questions about, you know, where do you get this work ethic? Where does your motivation come from? And the reality is that making a show is a lot about momentum, more than I realized. You know, the show was always, always going. I'm always writing. I'm always making stuff. And if I ever stop, getting started again is a really big problem. When I was in New York, <laughs> after I watched, I went to the XFL game on Saturday, on Sunday, for the first time in a long time, I stopped. I stopped writing. I didn't write anything on Sunday. I stopped my process. It was weird and unusual for me. I was flying all day, traveling, didn't watch any of the games, didn't do anything. And, um, you know, it's when you stop, it's really difficult to restart. It's kind of like kickstarting an engine to restart the creative process and get the wheels turning again. And, uh, you know, one of the personal issues I really struggle with is when I do laundry. <laughs> I, I hate putting away my clean clothes. They pile up in my closet. I dump them in and they're kind of just in front of the door and I have to like literally pick a time to go put them away. But if I start putting them away, I immediately put them away. It goes very quickly once I begin the process and start. Making the show is very similar. The, the starting part is hard. So I encourage you if you're out there and you make content, understand that the hardest part is getting started. Once you get started, you can use the momentum and just keep going and going and going. So I apologize to everybody. I know it's been a long week. I haven't made any content this week. Um, the New York trip really legitimately did kill me. Uh, I'll talk about the city of New York and my experience there down the road. There's a question about it. Um, but I was exhausted, man. And uh, you know, just getting going again was really difficult. But I always try to be honest and open with you guys. And uh, I have a real personal battle where everybody in my personal life tells me I need to rest more, I need to slow down more, and they say I don't rest enough. And I trust them, so I try to listen to what they tell me. I go, okay, maybe I need to rest more. But I kind of feel misunderstood sometimes because I, I love what I do, and a lot of people in my life hate their job. It's just the truth. I'm one of the few people I know that legitimately gets up every day and goes, can't wait to do it, can't wait to do my job. And uh, for me, the job is all about creativity. It's all about passion. It's, I'm really lucky that I, I, that's my focus. That's my motivation. And um, I've been having this tug-of-war battle in my mind all week where like one side of my mind is saying, you're tired, you should rest. Everyone says you don't rest enough. And on the other side, I'm like, well, you want to work. You want to make stuff. And it's, it's been a weird back and forth, and I'm still figuring out the proper balance. I honestly have no idea how to do any. I'm, just, I'm learning. I'm I'm. I'm in a new profession. I'm still learning what I'm doing. I've only been doing this for two and a half years. Um, and that's been my personal struggle this week. I wanted to share that. I wanted to be open about that. 
that, you know, rest and momentum and there's all this stuff going on in my head and I'm doing the best I can to just keep the show going. And um, I hope that story, if you're a creator out there, I hope you can relate to that. I hope it's interesting. Um, I feel myself talking way too fast. I don't know if that's because I took a break from the show and haven't made a podcast in a while. I don't know. But I do recognize maybe I should like ease off. <laughs> I feel like I'm so intense today. Um, but yeah, I want to say thank you so much. I want to start with a question from Patrick. Patrick writes in. He says, hi, Zach. Today I have two questions regarding trips. Number one, you said you're going to New York City to watch the Guardians play. I'd like to hear your opinion on New York City as a city because I know you're such a quiet guy who isn't that much into the traffic of such a huge city. And I personally was really overwhelmed by New York City. So I'm curious whether or not you hate the city. That's question number one. We'll start with that. We'll come to the next one in a minute. Um, I got to say, New York was fun. Like, New York is a fun, fun place to be. I was in Manhattan for the week, um, and it was fast. It was busy. I encourage you, if you can, at some point in your lifetime, you should see Manhattan. It really is one of those things where you just got to see it. I want to take my girlfriend to see it someday. I hope she gets to experience it because it is just a... A wonder. It's like, wow, this is a different pace of life even. It's, it's crazy to me. Uh, and I want to say this, by the way. There's a stereotype about New Yorkers. I live on the West Coast of America. And I think the stereotype isn't quite right where people say that New Yorkers are mean. And I, I just don't think that's true. Um, New Yorkers are not mean. They're busy. <laughs> They're doing stuff. Everybody in New York City is going somewhere or working on something or heading somewhere or Everybody is busy on some kind of personal mission. And so uh, I would say just don't bother busy people. If you're busy, you're going to be mean and snap at somebody if they bother you because you're headed somewhere. You're working on something. You're, you're busy doing stuff. I, I can relate to that so heavily. And so I don't think New Yorkers are mean. They're just busy. Leave the busy people alone. Now, I saw a cool sign as I got on the plane to return home to Portland, Oregon, where I live. And it said, New York City. The city that never sleeps, but always dreams. And I went, oh, that's cool. That's honest. That that really is kind of how I feel about the city. It couldn't be more true. Everybody there, the people there, are fighting for their lives. It really feels like that when you walk around New York City. It's incredibly competitive. And I really, I respect it. I just walk around. I go, wow, like. Everybody here is busy doing something, and it makes you feel just really small. Now, my ego wants to say I could make it a New York City. Of, co- of course, like I want to be able to say, yeah, I could do New York. I could make it happen. I could live in Manhattan. And, and maybe I could. I'm not sure I would want to, though. I just don't think I'm, I'm made to live in Manhattan. Just Everything is tough. The weather is tough. The people are tough. Getting around is really tough. I mean, I stayed with a friend in Manhattan, like uptown Manhattan, and where I was staying was eight miles from MetLife uh, Stadium, which is where the New York Giants play, which is where the New York Guardians play. That's where I was going to watch a game on Saturday. I had credentials. It was really fun, by the way. But I got to say, traveling to the stadium is such a bother. It's so hard. I, so it's weird where I live, eight miles away. It's not that far. Eight miles is like, yeah, that's a short you know, car ride. It's like, what, you'd be like, I don't, I don't want to do the math. Eight times 60, it's like 10 minutes from where I live. Eight miles is not a big deal. 
on the West Coast where I live. In New York, traveling eight miles is like just a gigantic, gigantic mission. (laughs) You have to take three different subways and transfer multiple times, or you can take a bus, which takes forever, and you got to wait for the bus, which comes once an hour, or you could pay $75 to take an Uber to go eight miles. It's insane to me. It's like, wow, New York City is just a different beast. You can't get around the same way. So Patrick is right. I'm a quiet guy. I hate traffic. Like I hate traffic more than anything. And, uh, you know, New York has no personal space. I, it, it just killed me. I have never been more tired in my entire life than when I was walking around New York City, walking around Manhattan, going to Penn Station, you know, riding a train to Long Island, riding a train to a different place, riding a train to this place. I mean, just like, oh my gosh, <laughs> a simple trip, which would have been a simple trip where I live was just a, a gigantic burden. And so I really respect New York City. It's a really cool place. And if I was a normal person, maybe maybe I could make it work in the city if I didn't have, like my job is my life and I need a studio space to record and I really don't want to party. I don't want to do all that stuff. And so I'm a huge introvert. And honestly, the charm and the beauty of the city kind of wipes away after about 20 minutes. Like, you know, I mean, I'll always think that New York City is beautiful. Manhattan, oh, my, it's, it's magical. Like, it really is cool. I was in Central Park, and I saw the spot where John Lennon died, and I was like, this is just unbelievable. It's really cool. But the more you exist in Manhattan, the more the city becomes an obstacle rather than this thing of beauty. You're like, ah, oh, I got to get over there, and there's this, and it's just, New York is tough, man. And, man, I love the people, though. I I love, I love the people. They work so hard. You have to to make it there. And I have just tremendous, tremendous respect for all the people in New York City. Um, Gosh, man, I I just, the people who make it there are the kind of people, they they say this, if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. It's just true. I mean, it's just the most competitive place I've ever been. It's competitive to get a seat on the bus. It's competitive for everything you do. You're constantly fighting and competing. And for me, it wore me out. Um, But I know that, man, it... (laughs) If you, could, if you could make it there, you could definitely go to Cincinnati or Portland or Seattle. If you can make it in New York City, you can make it anywhere. That really is true. I'm not sure I'd want to make it in New York City, um, but it's, I, just, I really respect all the people there. Let's read the second part of Patrick's question. He says, do you think about a trip to Europe? You definitely have listeners here, and I'd love to meet up and take you to a German soccer or GFL game if you were coming to my area. Greetings, Patrick. Would I come to Europe? Of course I would, man. Europe is unbelievable. Um, honestly, one of my dreams is to go to, and a very new dream, because I really got into Formula One recently. I'd love to go to a Formula One race over there in the UK, over there in Europe somewhere. Um, I don't know if, if Norway, I think Norway is considered Europe. I, I'll just say it. I'd love to go to the fjords in Norway. That'd be unbelievable. There's so much beauty. There's so much stuff over there in Europe uh, that I've never seen any of it. I've never left America, actually. So someday, yeah, I should get my passport, and uh, I, I hope I can go to Europe someday. I don't, you know, I, I don't know how I would pay for it yet, but I really would love that, um, and uh, I'm, I'm sure I will. I, the show is growing, and we're getting closer to that kind of stuff, and, um, and if I go to Europe someday, I'd love to meet as many people as I can. That'd be really fun. I wanted to meet more people in New York. I feel pretty bad, but I got to New York and was like, how do I even, how do I, how do I do this? How do I get around? How do I, I just was immediately exhausted constantly because of the, the drama of what is New York city. So I feel bad. I didn't meet more people there, 
But if I go to Europe, definitely I'm going to make a plan. You know, I really want to make a point to when I travel places, say, let's let's pick a restaurant and let's, hey, you want to come here at one o'clock at this time? I'll be there. That kind of thing. Like I want to do meetups whenever I can. And uh, I wish I'd, I'd done a better job planning that. New York was so busy. I never had a moment actually to sit down and be to myself. Every day was busy with something. I had a bunch of meetings and a bunch of appearances and a bunch of this and that. I never had a moment where I got to sit and breathe and be myself. Um, but I really want to make a point next time I ever go anywhere else. I really want to do, hey, I'm going to Buffalo Wild Wings at this time or I'm going to this bar at this time or this or that and make it available for people to come have breakfast with me or something because I really want to meet people. That's what I, how I'd love to use Strong Opinion Sports to to travel, go to games, and uh, to meet people all, all over the world and all over the country. That would make me really happy. So Caleb writes in. Caleb says, hey, Zach, glad to see your New York City trip is going well. While visiting the Big Apple, what surprised you about the city and its fan culture? I remember, remember a while back that you were interested in the New York market. Um, Caleb, I got to say, first of all, Getting to games in New York City is really, really tough. I had no idea, and I really respect the dedication of New York sports fans because like, in New York City, you'd better put out a good product because it is a journey and a mission to get to any kind of sporting event. Going to Madison Square Garden, MetLife Stadium is in New Jersey, which is so far away and hard to get to unless you live in Jersey, basically. Um, there's trains, there's buses, you got to ride an Uber, and... I don't see myself ever doing local sports. I work on a national market. Uh, I, I cover all sports. I even I'm even covering Formula One this year, which will be like a a step national you know, internationally for me. So I don't ever see myself doing local sports. But if I ever did, the three places I'd want to do it would be New York, Boston, or actually Philadelphia. They're three tough, passionate fan bases. I've now met people. In Boston, I've met people in New York. Um, it would be a blast. I'd get a ton of hate. That'd be part of the deal. You know, people love to hate on Mike Francesa, the local New York guy. But it'd be a lot of fun. I just think it'd be so much fun to work in that kind of environment where sports fans are so intense and angry, but also passionate. Like, there's a lot of hate from New York sports fans, but it doesn't come from, I think, a bad place. I think it comes from a deep love for their team, a deep love for their city, their place, they're from. It's a tribal love that I think is really cool. And this passion from sports fans in New York and Boston and Philadelphia, I think are they're three special cities that love their sport more than a lot of places I've ever been. Like football, I guess, in Texas is another place that's similar. But I just really, really, something about the East Coast and the magic of that harshness, I really, really appreciate. Now, I'd have to learn baseball because I don't really like baseball that much. Baseball would be tough for me. People would want me to talk about the Yankees if I was a local New York guy. I don't think I could do that. But I will say I really – I love those those markets I really, really admire, and I, I respect the passion people have. And with passion comes anger, but I don't mind the anger because I think the anger comes from a place of you know love for your team and love for your city. So if I worked anywhere on a local level, it would be New York, Boston, or Philadelphia. I probably never will. But I really admire those three cities and their sports fans. Okay, Rand writes in. He says, hey, Zach, seeing as you talked about Rush last time, have you ever watched Formula One racing or thought of covering it? There's an excellent Netflix series called Formula One 
Drive to Survive that covers the 2018 season and the 2019 season will be coming out soon. So this question came in a while back, and uh, I didn't answer it. I sat on it. I waited for a while because I knew, hey, I'm going to New York soon. I'm going to be on a plane for a long time, and not just on a plane for a long time, but stuck in airports, stuck waiting in lines. You know, Flying does not just include the time you're in the air. It also includes the hours you're stuck at airports. So for me, what I did is I spent that time watching Formula One Drive to Survive. I you know, downloaded all the stuff onto my phone. And uh, I got to say, I am on the other side of that. I am so in love with Formula One racing. I, I've, I love it, man. I've always loved racing. It's been one of those kind of guilty pleasures of mine. You know, one of my favorite movies of all time is the movie Rush. It's about James Hunt and Nicky Lotta, two uh, Formula One racers. It's got you know, Chris Hemsworth, who plays Thor in the Avengers movies. It's a phenomenal movie. If you ever want to watch it, even if you don't, I just recommend go watch Rush. It'll really open your mind to what Formula One racing is. And then go watch Formula One Drive to Survive. If you've never, ever paid attention to Formula One racing, it will really, really open your eyes and you'll go, oh my gosh, this is a cool thing. I really think if you have any inclination, go watch it. Um, now, me personally, I've always been fascinated with racing, but the problem was I grew up in America, and in America, the only real example I had in front of me of racing on a mainstream stage was NASCAR, and I just, I don't connect with NASCAR. The left turns, the culture, it, I, I know there's more to it. There's, it's all about the cars and the drivers and overtakes, but for me, I just never really connected with NASCAR. It never worked for me, but Formula One I the I get it. It really, really excites me. There's more than just left turns. It's really complicated. There's so many little layers to Formula One racing, and I, I love the culture. I love all of that. I go, oh, man. It just spoke to me. It made me really excited and really happy. Um, so number one, I got to say, first of all, I am so glad that Formula One approved the idea for the Netflix series Drive to Survive. Formula One got on board. Uh, the teams that got involved for season one, Red Bull was a big part of it. Reynolds was a big part of it. Uh, Haas was a big part of it. A lot of teams said, hey, we will open our doors. We'll bring in people. They can interview us. We'll give you all access. And I, I am so, so grateful for that. It's pretty clear in season one of Drive to Survive that Mercedes and Ferrari didn't trust it, didn't want to be a part of it. I don't know if maybe there was an, a barrier speaking English. I have no idea. But they kind of kept Netflix at arm's length. It's really cool that season two opens up with an interview with Ferrari. It opens up with an interview with Mercedes. Like, oh, wow. All that stuff is finally talked about. And that they, you know, the two that kind of kept Netflix at arm's length, those two teams, Mercedes and Ferrari, opened up their doors for season two. And I got to say, man, I am so glad that Formula One made it happen to give Netflix access because as a result, they got me as a fan. I became a fan of Formula One racing because of the Netflix series. And that's so cool to me. I love it. Um, you know, you got to see the faces of the drivers. You got to get to know the team principals who are basically like the head coach of the racing teams. You got to hear about the sponsors. Hearing the story, seeing the faces, and getting to know the people behind Formula One sold me on the sport. I went, oh, that's awesome. And I love it. I'm a fan of the sport now. And I got to say, I'm going to follow Formula One racing this year. You know, I, I tried following hockey, and it just didn't work for me. I, I like hockey. I enjoy live hockey. But hockey, it, to be honest, it happens too often. There's too many games for me to catch up and you know, stay involved with what's going on. And so it was overwhelming. Now, Formula One is very different. It's a new sport I'm going to cover. 
but there's a race only every two weeks. So I can go, oh, what happened? Digest it, make a video. I can make a video before each race and after each race every two weeks. Totally reasonable. I, I totally can do that. That makes sense to me. And so I love it. It's fast. It's exciting. There are so many cool storylines. There are rivalries. You know, drivers are leaving constantly and moving around. Personal stories. I cannot wait to watch Formula One this year. It starts on March 14th in Australia. And I'm going to follow Formula One this year. I am so, so excited. Guys, my throat is killing me. I need to take a break. When I return, the next question is all about stadiums. Uh, we got some stuff about what's coming up. We're going to talk about the Bengals. We're going to talk about Cam Newton. We have good stuff coming up. I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we'll talk about all that stuff. My name is Zach Schaumler. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Um, I wanted to slow down the show a little bit. I feel like I've been talking way too fast. And so I want to get into a question from Andrew. Andrew writes in. He says, hey, Zach, what are some of the venues you've never been to and would want to see a game at? It can be any sport. Being a Kansas alumni, I can't think of a better place than Allen Fieldhouse. If you're ever in the Kansas City area, I'd love to get lunch with you. Andrew, of yes, I would love to get lunch with you at Kansas City. That'd be fun. Uh, I don't know when I'll be there, but if that ever happens, Andrew, send me a message. I'd love to make that happen. Um, there are a lot of places on my list. You know, I this 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 I this question was fun for me because it made me sit down and write down one, two, three, four, five, six, seven places that I'm like, if I could, I guess they're bucket list events or bucket list things I'd love to go see. I'm actually going to add an eighth one. Did I say eight? Whatever. I want to add one to the list that I didn't write down. Number one, the thing I'd love to go see more than anything, two of them actually, now that I think about it. I want to go watch a game at Wrigley Field in Chicago. I think it'd be so cool. It's a historic ballpark. It'd be incredible. I'd also love to go see a a Stanley Cup playoff game, uh, really a Stanley Cup finals game. I watched the Boston Bruins you know, game seven last year in Boston, I believe they lost, but the Boston crowd was just furious and loud and into it. And I'm like, man, I want to go watch a Stanley Cup playoff game. To be in a crowd like that would be so much fun to hear the energy, the excitement. I, I Live hockey is a special, special thing you can't really replicate. I'd love to see that. And no, that's no particular place. Now, what are the venues I'd like to go see? Wrigley Field's one. Uh, I'd love to go see Lambeau Field. I'm actually going to go. I'm moving to Cincinnati this fall. It's my big move I'm really excited for. And uh, because it's closer to Lambeau Field, I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to go watch a game at Lambeau Field this fall. I'm so excited for that. I'm also going to go to Soldier Field, which is also on the list. I want to watch a game at Soldier Field in Chicago. Another game kind of on the bucket list things to do, two of them actually, I want to go watch a primetime night game at LSU in Death Valley. It'd be unbelievable. The crowd there, it looks epic. I watched the LSU game. I can't remember who they were playing. I watched an LSU game in Death Valley this year, and I just went, oh, man. That looks like an incredible atmosphere. I'd love to be there. I also want to go to a night game at Georgia. I believe it's called Stanford Stanford Stadium. I watched Georgia host Notre Dame last fall at night. And they do this cool thing where they cycle the lights on and off. And they have these red lights that fill up the whole stadium. I was like, man, I would have loved to be in that stadium for that moment. Hearing the crowd, those dark, those red lights, the lights off. It just was so cool to me. I'm like, I want to go to a night game at Georgia someday. Uh, I think the next stop after Cincinnati, I'm going to move to Charleston, South Carolina, which I think is 
close enough to drive to Georgia. I don't know, but I think it's possible. That'd be really cool. Um, I want to go to watch uh, the Celtics at the Boston Garden. That'd be unbelievable. I'd love that. Uh, I want to go to Fenway Park to watch a Red Sox game. A burger, probably probably a hot dog, a beer, maybe my dad at Fenway Park. I don't care what game. It can be a game with terrible teams I don't even care about. I just want to be at the venue. It'd be really, really cool. Um, now, here's the most crazy one that I don't know, which is interesting. I would pick Fenway over Yankee Stadium for sure because Fenway's older. Like Fenway's way cooler. There's a new Yankee Stadium. It's not as special to me. Fenway Park and Wrigley Field are like iconic, old, special stadiums. I want to see those before I die for sure. I'd love to take my dad. My dad and I are so close to have a beer and a hot dog with him at Fenway Park. It'd be unbelievable. Um, now, here's the crazy one. I'm not sure how I would ever make this happen. I, I just don't know because it's uh, – my because my, I've seen this – the event I'm going to mention next is one I've seen in movies and I watched like – like in, in the movie I saw, I watched Iron Man 2. Elon Musk is there. It feels like a gigantic rich guy's club and I have no idea if I would even fit in or even ever be able to afford to go to this thing, let alone get a credential to go. I, I don't know. Um, but it would be so cool for me. Like, would I even fit into the crowd of this? I have no idea. I'd love to go watch a Formula One race in Monaco. I, I just, like, the, it's just the most beautiful, crazy spectacle I can think of. I don't know if I'm ever going to be in a position financially where I can go watch a Formula One race in Monaco. That'd be insane. But it would be so cool to, to go to Monaco and watch cars do what they do in Formula One that quickly on that track in that city on the water in that location would be just like a, I don't know. I think that's as weird as that is. I'm a football fan. I love basketball. I'd love to go to a baseball game at you know at uh, Fenway Park. But for me, actually, the top of the list, the most cool thing, because it feels the most foreign and the most impossible for me to do, would be go to watch a Formula One race at Monaco. Because I just everything else on the list feels like you know what? At some point in my life, I can do that. I can go to Lambo. I can go to Soldier Field. I don't know how. It sounds hard. But Monaco feels impossible, and so to me, if there's one event I had to choose and one location, one setting to go watch something, oh, man, because I don't know how I would do it. I would love to go to Monaco and watch a Formula One race. That would be unbelievable. Now, the next question today is from Ben. Ben writes in, he says, Hey, Zach, over the past few days at the time of writing this, people in the media are starting to seriously speculate that NFL front offices could have two higher up on their draft boards than Joe Burrow. Do you think it's possible Tua goes number one overall if he checks out by April? Thanks for reading this with your eyeballs. Um, yeah, like I, I would not be shocked if NFL teams had Tua higher than Joe Burrow. So let's start off there. That that would not surprise me. It's totally possible. Um, now, the only way I would ever see Tua going number one instead of Joe Burrow is if the Cincinnati Bengals decided to trade out of the number one overall pick, right? That's the only way. If another team was picking one, then maybe they would pick Tua instead of Joe Burrow. But there is no way. The Cincinnati Bengals have the number one overall pick. There is no way that if things stay the way they are currently, there's no way the Bengals would ever pick Tua over Joe Burrow. It's not possible. Joe Burrow is a local Ohio guy. The Cincinnati Bengals owner, Mike Brown, really cares about that kind of stuff because he's really concerned 
with selling tickets, selling jerseys, the business side of the Bengals he really cares about. And can you imagine the optics? How would things look if the Cincinnati Bengals passed on Joe Burrow, drafted Tua, and then Joe Burrow went somewhere else and had a better career than Tua? The Bengals would never, ever live that down if they passed on the local kid, drafted Tua, and then Joe Burrow was better somewhere else. People would never let them forget it. So they actually kind of have to draft Joe Burrow. It's who the fans want. He's from Ohio. He also had literally the best season of all time by a quarterback in college last year. There is zero chance that Cincinnati passes on Joe Burrow number one overall. The only way that Tua gets drafted before Joe Burrow is if maybe Joe Burrow gets catastrophically hurt tomorrow in a car accident. That's awful. That's the only way I could see that happening. Or, but that's not going to happen. That's a very weird scenario. And of course, I don't want that to happen. The only other way it would happen is if another team traded with the Bengals to have the number one overall pick. They that another team might pick Tua, but there is zero chance that the Bengals would ever draft Tua before Joe Burrow. They're not going to pick the local kid that the fans want that has every reason to be the number one overall pick. The Bengals are drafting Joe Burrow. There's no way they draft anybody else, and so. I don't see a scenario where Tua is drafted ahead of Joe Burrow. I just don't think it's going to happen. Justin writes in, he says, What are your thoughts on the relationship between Cam Newton and the Carolina Panthers? Some fierce posts from Cam on his Instagram quoting him as saying, All they want is a little commitment. Matt Rule came out Tuesday morning saying he's excited to work with Cam and hopes he's on the roster. Any thoughts? Yeah, so Cam Newton came out, he said on Instagram, All I want is a little bit of commitment. And then very, very quickly, as a response, the Carolina Panthers YouTube channel put out a video called Matt Rule is Excited to Work with Cam Newton, where Matt Rule came out and said, the head coach of the Panthers, said, yeah, I like Cam, I want to work with Cam, and I'm focused on making sure that Cam Newton is healthy. So number one, right off the bat, what Cam Newton said on Instagram forced Matt Rule's hand to go, oh crap, we'd better say something positive about Cam Newton because to that point, Matt Rule had been just getting introduced and getting used to the team and said, I'm not going to make any you know statements about starter starting players, no matter what. It's not my place, season one. And so Cam Newton came out and said, I want a little bit of commitment. So Matt Rule got his hand forced, had to say something, said something positive about Cam Newton. Totally makes sense to me. But number two, the thing the Panthers keep saying to me that's really, really fascinating is that They keep saying, we need to see Cam Newton healthy. We need a healthy Cam. And you know what the underlying message there is? Hmm. It means that Cam isn't currently healthy. Currently, Cam Newton isn't ready to go. Will he be by the fall? I'm not sure. Uh, Matt Rule was actually very uncommittal to Cam Newton. It's weird. Like People are saying, well, Matt Rule committed to Cam. Not really. He said he's excited to work with him and that he hopes he's healthy. He said, you know, the biggest thing he said is that a healthy Cam is a good Cam. He said, we all know that. That's not really saying, this is my guy forever, I love him. That's just kind of saying very generic, kind of non-committal weirdness. So to me, will Cam Newton be healthy? Again, I don't know. 
But if Cam Newton is not going to be healthy by next year, I think the Panthers got to find a new quarterback. A gigantic part of Cam Newton's game is his mobility. And if having Cam Newton run around, if his mobility makes him an actually an injury risk, then Cam Newton's career is over. It's over. Cam Newton cannot win a game from the pocket without running. He needs to move. It's part of his game. It's a huge part of his game. Cam Newton cannot succeed the way Tom Brady does. Cam Newton cannot stay in the pocket, not run, and play quarterback at a high level. It's, just, he's, it's not who he is as a quarterback. He's not capable of that. He's 30 years old. He's almost 31. He'll be 31, I believe, in April. April or May. And I, and I think the truth is that the Panthers got to move on. It's time for them to say, hey, uh, we're, we're, we're getting on with things. We'll see. You know, Matt Rule said what he had to say to keep Cam Newton happy. I don't know that that's Matt Rule going, I love Cam. He's amazing. It's, Cam, it's Matt Rule saying, we got to keep Cam Newton happy. It doesn't hurt. It doesn't help us at all to burn that bridge before we know what's going to happen. But my, my honest feeling is, hey, uh, Cam isn't healthy. He sounds like he's really injured, and that's, that's pretty bad. And so in my opinion, my belief is that Matt Rule said what he had to say in order to keep Cam Newton happy. I'm going to skip ahead to a question at the bottom of the list because I think it fits in good here. Uh, Delancey writes in, he says, Hey, Zach, I watched a video talking about P.J. Walker and what his role on the Colts was, and I was wondering if he made the jump to the NFL, what would be the best fit for him? Thanks so much. If you're ever in Port Angeles, Washington, let's grab lunch. Delancey, I made a video about this. I, I really would, I, I would love it if you go watch it. I, I need the views. It'd be great. Um, it's called P.J. Walker's NFL Future. And in that video, I talk about how Cam Newton, excuse me, what am I saying? I talk about how the Carolina Panthers would be the best fit for P.J. Walker, the quarterback of the Houston Roughnecks. Uh, go watch the video if you want to learn why. But I, I think there's a great argument for why the Panthers should go after P.J. Walker and why P.J. Walker would be a great fit, in fact, with the Carolina Panthers. To the next question today is from Cedric. Cedric writes in, says, hey, Zach, I guess by now we all know your opinion about stats, but what do you think about the pro football focus grades or stats as they aren't as trivial as the usual total stats like yards and interception? Would love to hear your quick opinion about it. Greetings from Germany, Cedric. Um, I know very little about pro football focus. I know as a, my principle is I don't try to listen to the stats very much. I do believe that a lot of their stats are derived from like more of what, more behavioral stuff. So I, if there ever were stats that are valuable, it might be pro football focus. Um, I cannot remember a time. I don't believe I've ever been to their website. Uh, maybe I looked at it once, like two years ago, but I, I just don't think I've ever been to their website. I don't use their stuff. I really try to block out all other opinions and analysis when it comes to players because I don't want my opinions to be tainted uh, by, or, or messed with. I really want to be sure that when I say something, I know I'm not... You know, I, I, maybe the word is cross-contaminated. My opinion comes from only my head, and I haven't heard it from anybody else. And so I really block out all other f- sources of media when it comes to player evaluation. Um, but I will say this. I know four people who work for Pro Football Focus, watching film and creating some of the numbers they come up with. And um, the people I know that work for Pro Football Focus are people that know the game of football, that have significant experience in coaching or as players and I really respect their football minds and so 
my limited exposure to pro football focus, I would assume that those guys who know football really well and have really good heads on their shoulders, I would think that that carries over to their work. And it would really make me think, okay, probably the stuff of pro football focus is quality because the people they employ that I know are quality. Now, uh, here's what I struggle with. Um, everyone sees things differently. So like, you know, IGN is a gigantic thing, a company that writes about video games and they have hundreds and hundreds of people doing reviews of video games. And so it's very inconsistent from review to review. It's all different perspectives all the time. And consistency is tough when you have that many people lending that many eyeballs to all these players. And so I, I, my one thing, you know, I prefer a consistent voice that I can trust. So it sounds like me advocating for myself, but I'm saying when I, when I follow video games, I listen to one person who I know and built rapport with. And so if he likes this game, I'll probably like it. If he doesn't, I probably won't like it. And it's a consistent thing to judge on. With Pro Football Focus, there are so many people that maybe you get a variation. I don't know. I literally have never used a product, but that'd be my one fear. Maybe is that there's a lot of variation because you have so many hands touching so many different things. Um, but you know, I also can't cover every player. So if you're saying comparing me to Pro Football Focus, they do way more than I do. They're just their their library is gigantic. Um, I got nothing against Pro Football Focus. My guess is I, again, I know some people who work for them. The people I know who work for them are really good people that I respect. And so I would assume that carries over to all their employees. And um, I got nothing but respect for the people I know who work for them. And so that's that's everything I've ever felt about Pro Football Focus. I literally barely ever think about them because, again, I don't worry about other people in the industry. But um, I, I have nothing but respect for what they do. And uh, the people I know who work for them are good people. They're nice people. And I really uh, respect the way that they look at the game of football. Landon writes in. Landon says... Hello, Zach. Just a simple question. What's your favorite NFL uniform? <laughs> um, I have four. I absolutely love throwback uniforms. Really, any and all throwback uniforms are good to me. There are four, though, that stand out in my mind. Um, number one, the Packers helmets, or the Packers uniforms, the throwback uniforms with the brown helmets. They have the blue jersey. There's that yellow circle on their jersey with the number in it. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I love that throwback uniform. I really like the Steelers throwback uniforms, the black and yellow stripes. A lot of people hate them. I don't get it. I think it's fun. I think it's cool. They look kind of like bees running around. Uh, I love that uniform. The Redskins are a personal favorite of mine. They really, I think honestly, that the Redskins throwback uniforms are actually better than their current actual uniforms. I really, like, I don't know why they don't just wear those all the time. Um, they have this rich, like, burgundy top with a white outline of the numbers, it's really easy to make out really pretty. And they have these boring, like, tan pants on the bottom. It just looks really cool. I love the Redskins throwback uniforms. And then uh, I want to give a special shout-out to the New England Patriots. Maybe the most beautiful throwback uniform. They have this red top with a white helmet and white pants. And they have the old throwback, you know, logo of the Patriots logo. And, oh, my gosh, it looks so cool. The red... Patriots throwback uniform. I, I've even seen people with the hat. You know, when I was in college, a lot of people had the Patriots hat with the, the logo of the Patriots on it. I went to Washington State, which is, it's very telling. The people at Washington State University in Pullman, Washington, on the West Coast have that hat. Then you know it must be a really cool hat. So a lot of people had that hat when I was in college. And uh, oh my gosh, is it, it it's just beautiful. The, the Patriots throwback uniform is gorgeous. So 
my four favorite uniforms in the entire NFL are all throwback uniforms. The Packers throwback, the Steelers throwback, and then the Redskins and the Patriots have the two best throwback uniforms. And the Redskins throwback uniforms, they're better than their actual uniforms. I love them so much. I wish they'd wear them more. Uh, Those are my favorite uniforms in the entire NFL. Okay, uh, Tim writes in. Tim asked me a question about the Lions. Oh, bless his soul. Tim writes in. He says, hey, Zach, I have followed your... I have followed and stumbled onto your show about a year and a half ago and was instantly hooked. Thank you for making your show and love your love of football. My question is, in December, the Ford sent a letter out to the public stating they wanted to win. As a guy who came out of the womb in a Barry Sanders jersey, I would love nothing more. The letter states winning a playoff game isn't enough. Do you think it's possible the Lions could be a contender for the Super Bowl within the next three years? Again, Thank you so much, Tim. Um, could the Lions be Super Bowl contenders within three years? Yeah. Ab- absolutely. Yes, they could. Uh, that's the beauty of the NFL. That's why the NFL is one of the most incredible, I think, special sports in the, in the world, is how easily and how quickly a team can turn around their fortune. It's very rare to see another league where like the, the 49ers, in the last NFL draft, drafted number two overall. They had a horrible year. The next year, they were in the Super Bowl. Unbelievable. That's the power of the NFL. It's so cool to me. And I I like the sentiment from the Lions that winning a playoff game isn't enough. But the truth is, I will also say the Lions, the first step to winning a Super Bowl is making the playoffs, right? The, I hope the Lions have a focus on. But I think that's that's not the point, right? The point is that the Lions are not satisfied with being good enough. They want to be great. And I really admire that. But they got to be good enough first. Uh, But I will say, I'm not sure how to explain it any better than what I'm about to say. This is honestly really weak analysis, and I apologize for that. But I I just don't have a better... I I got asked a question. I don't know how to say this better yet. I'm sure as I ponder it and think about it in the coming months, it will hit me and I'll figure it out. But I just... The Lions have a different vibe. They just... Since they hired Matt Patricia to be their head coach, things appear to be different. And I... You know, with player moves, with little subtle things they say as a franchise, there's been a consistent approach like, hey, we are trying to change things in Detroit. And the Lions culture needed to change. And that takes time. So maybe what we're seeing is maybe the Lions culture has been changing ever so slowly. And we might not have seen results yet on the field, but I do believe something turned a corner in the Lions franchise. I can't figure out why. I can't put it to words yet, but there is something to me that goes, the Lions feel different. And I think maybe it's because they started off so great last year. The Lions at the beginning of last year were phenomenal, and then things went downhill. Their quarterback got hurt, Matthew Stafford, and they kind of spun out of control at the end of the year. But I I really think that there's something to the Lions. They're not just keeling over and dying. They really are fighting. Now, that's not saying a lot. Every team in the NFL wants to win. But, you know, and I got to say, by the way, about Matthew Stafford, I think he's a good quarterback. I think Matthew Stafford is quality. I think he's been victim of a bad franchise for a long time. I'd put him maybe in the same category with Carson Palmer and Tony Romo, two quarterbacks, you know, solid quarterbacks who've been underappreciated and played for and played on some really bad teams over the years. But the Lions' progress is something to watch. They really are. The attitude has changed when they hired Matt Patricia as a coach. I mean, look, again, I say this, I said it before earlier in the the topic, like, 
Every team is trying to win. So, of course, the Lions are trying to win. But there's something to it, man. Will they win? I have no idea. I'm not sure. The Lions might fail. But I am really curious to see the future of the Lions. It just It seems like they're trying to change things. Are they going to? I don't know. And again, every team's trying to win. That's a very weak analysis. I acknowledge that. Um, but I, I want to just keep keep the Lions on your mind. Something's happening there. I don't understand it fully. I don't know what it is. Maybe I got to talk to some beat writers in Detroit first and get a sense of what they're feeling and figure that out. But something's going on in Detroit. I don't have any friends in the building. I know nobody there. But I just get a different sense from the Lions. And uh, I, I wish I could put it to words better. I apologize that I can't. But pay attention to the Lions. Um I think they're trying to make something happen there, like everybody is, but something feels different. I can't put it to words. Keep Pay attention to the Lions moving forward. Okay, um, maybe two more questions. Yeah, two more questions. Uh, number one's from Jake. Jake writes in, he says, Hey, Zach, what players do you think will be the face of the NFL in the coming years? And then he says, other than Patrick Mahomes. Um, other than Mahomes, I'm not sure, because I think Patrick Mahomes is so clearly already the face of the NFL. Um Maybe Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson comes to mind. He's like a Drew Brees level guy. Um, to me, though, the person that I think will be a future face of the NFL that he already kind of is, is Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson, he's only 24 years old. He doesn't turn 25 until September. The dude has a great arm. He makes great decisions. Nobody is explosive the same way Deshaun Watson is. Uh, he's a great runner, but he's got a great arm. He's a better thrower than a lot of other guys who can run around. Um, and even guys who play similar, like Kyler Murray plays similar to Deshaun Watson. They have a similar skill set. But Deshaun Watson presents so much better than Kyler Murray. Deshaun Watson is such a good speaker at the podium. I really think that the guy with a lot of potential to become a future face of the league is Deshaun Watson, both on and off the field. He is a star. And I think him and Patrick Mahomes in the coming years could be. Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes could be future faces of the NFL. You know, Patrick already is. I wouldn't be surprised if pretty soon Deshaun Watson's up there with him. Uh, he's a guy who really, really, I believe, has massive star power in Houston. The final question comes from Daniel. He writes in, he says, Hey, Zach, are you in favor of the NFL's proposed 17-game season and the new playoff structure? So if you don't know, a 17-game season has been proposed. Uh, it would shorten the preseason down to three games. You'd have 17 total games in the NFL regular season. And first of all, it would give the players a little bit of money. It would also add, this, this whole proposal would add another team from each conference to the playoffs, making it, instead of having 12 playoff teams, we'd have 14 every year. Uh, personally, I don't like the change at all. Uh, I think 16 games is already a little too many. <laughs> 17 is insane. It's just crazy. Um, to add another game without adding another bye week is is really problematic. Guys are going to get hurt even more. People's bodies are destroyed at the end of a regular an NFL regular season. I, I'm not a fan of this at all. Um, I think if you're going to add another game, you should add another bye week. Player safety has to be paramount. And I think spreading it out two more weeks of the season would be totally fine. Uh, I like that idea. And I don't like change. I'll be, I'll be totally honest. I don't like any change. I'm never a fan of it. Um, and I think that adding more playoff teams, um, I, it's not a terrible idea. Like adding more playoff games, sure, that's awesome. You know, more, t- more playoffs, 
is good, right? We like playoffs. They're fun. They're amazing. Um, but it does feel like it cheapens things a little bit to have three wild card teams in each conference. Um, I don't know. Does it to have a? I don't want bad teams getting into the NFL playoffs, and that's what I, my fear is could happen. So I don't know. Um, I will say that having another playoff team would make the number one seed in the NFL playoffs even more valuable because the only teams that would have a bye week, week one, wild card weekend of the NFL playoffs would be the number one seeds. So then teams would fight even harder for that number one seed because being the number two seed means you still got to play week in the wild card round of the playoffs. So we would never see a more valuable spot than having the bye week, having being the number one seed in the playoffs would become an even bigger deal than already is. It's a massive, massive deal. But I got to say, this is all business. I, it's just so teams and so the league can make more money. I don't think it's what's best for the players at all. Even if it makes them a, a marginal fraction more money down the road, is their bodies worth, are their bodies worth it? I just don't, I'm not a fan. I don't like it. Also, again, I don't want to put bad teams in the playoffs. I just don't want to see a seven and nine team consistently in the playoffs. I just don't like that idea at all. Um, but here's the truth, honestly. You want to hear how I feel about the 17-game season? Who cares until it's real, right? I, until it's real, it doesn't matter. And then once it's real, my opinion doesn't matter. I have no vote. I, ha- I have no say whether this happens at all. On March 12th, it's going to be decided on. You know, by March 12th, we'll know whether the 17-game season is happening or not. And again, I have no control. I have no vote. Whatever happens, happens. And I'll just have to take whatever happens. I don't, like you out there as a fan, you don't control what happens with the 17-game season. All we can do as fans of the sport we love is accept what is and, and enjoy whatever product is put in front of us and make the best of it. So whether I agree or not doesn't actually matter. I'm hesitant for change. I'm not a, like people really struggle. I struggle with change. A lot of people struggle with change. Um, my concern is, is this really what's best for the players? The NFL will argue, well, they get to make more money, but at what cost is my argument. But at the end of the day, who, who cares? I mean, right. It just, the NFL wants to make more money. They want to have this argument. They'll do whatever they need to. And I have no say in the matter. So does my opinion, I think people want to hear it, but at the end of the day, I, I have no control what happens or what changes or doesn't. So I'll just have to accept whatever the NFL decides ends up deciding with the 17 game season. So that's my opinion. Is it really best for the players? I don't think so. I wish they would add another bye week. If they're going to add a 17 game season, that would make me feel a lot better about it. Um, but we'll see what happens. March 12th is the deadline that we will learn by then we will know whether or not the NFL season has been extended. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Uh, I want to end the show this way. It's the way I end every single podcast. If you're struggling, please go get help. Nearly four years ago, my younger brother took his life. I guess it's been longer than four years ago now, so a little longer than four years ago, uh, my younger brother Zane committed suicide. And it's miserable. It's terrible. It's the worst thing ever. And in that experience, I learned two really painful lessons. Number one is that if you're struggling, please go get help. Uh, One day I walked into my dad's house and my brother was dead on the floor. Had no idea. Um, I I just, you know, (laughs) I went upstairs and Zane was dead on the floor. No one, no one ever knew he was, no one had any idea he was struggling. He never told anybody. 
Uh, he just one day took his life. And so I, I really don't want that to happen more. So I, I'm begging you, if you're out there and you're having a hard time, please talk to somebody. Talk to a counselor. Talk to a teacher. Talk to a parent. Tell somebody your struggles. Go get help. Don't suffer in silence the way that my younger brother did. Uh, if you have nobody else to talk to, as a last resort, if there's really no one you can talk to, you can call the suicide hotline, which is 1-800-273-8255. The suicide hotline is one 800 273 8255. If you have nobody to talk to truly, call that number. Go get help. Please do not suffer in silence. Before you do anything, please go get help. I'm begging you. Please go get help. Now, the, the other thing I want to say is I, I didn't make it clear enough to my younger brother that he could talk to me. You know, my brother and I hung out constantly. We played Halo together. We worked together, played, played high school football together. And all our conversations revolved around sports or movies, or girls, or video games, and we didn't have conversations with a bunch of depth, and so I I really regret that, and I encourage you, if you're out there, don't be afraid to have conversations with more depth. Don't be afraid to tell the people in your life, I love them, give people hugs, say, hey, I love you, I care about you, and if you're having a hard time, you can always come talk to me. I encourage you, if you're out there, don't be afraid to tell people in your life how much they mean to you, and please make it clear to them, if they're struggling, they can come talk to you. Guys, my name is Zach Shomler. If you're struggling, please go get help. I hope you have a great day. But I'm bum. Bam. We are.